So today, again, we're going to talk about my favorite topic. It's not my favorite topic. Uh, it's hard talking about money. I think we, uh, everybody struggles with it. And uh, I promise you, I'm not going to ask for any more money. And I will tell you this, that this topic we're going to talk about today is woven throughout the entire Bible, old and new. It's not something new we're going to discover. It's something that has been, is woven from, from uh, the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation. It, it, is, it is woven throughout Scripture. God's children are called to live a certain way. We're called to live a certain way. When you accepted Christ, you were called to live a certain way. And this is what James wants us to realize. And also, Jesus talks more about money than any other topic. So if you've got a problem with anybody, any pastor talking about money, take it up with Jesus because that's who you believe in and he spoke about it more than any other topic he ever spoke about. So let's see what James has to say. And what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm not done with any of the other script. I'm going to read the whole text, the six verses, because I'm not going to go back to them six verses. I'm going to pull from Jesus and uh, Paul's writings. Uh, he says, Come now, you rich. I've got to stop there because I just want you to understand before you check out, because you say, well, they're not talking to me, because I'm not rich. So I don't have to listen today. I want to share something with you. If you make more than $34,000 a year, one person makes more than $34,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of earners in the world. If you make around 25000 a year, you're in the top 2% of earners of the world. Half of the richest people in the world, guess what country they live in? America. United States of America. So, I'm going to tell you, everybody in here, you're someone's Bill Gates or Elon Musk. You are someone's, they would look at how you spent your money and what you have in your house as extravagant, as too much. Just before we get started. So nobody needs to check out. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. 
You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have, con- you, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So James warns us that r- the rich have oppressed and exploited the underprivileged. And you'll say, I haven't done that. Everyone in there has done that. Everyone is going to continue to do that. I have no doubt. How many people, how many people in here have a pair of Nikes? A pair of Reebok? It doesn't matter what, you, what brand you buy. They were made by slaves. They were paid, but they were paid bare minimum. In, and I'm pulling these back, these facts, but in 1930s, because I didn't write them down, in the 1930s, we spent 30% of our income on our clothes in the 1920s and 30s. You know how much we spend now? 10. But we buy more stuff. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? We buy more stuff. Do you know how we've been able to do that? Because we exported it all and have slaves making it for us. So everybody in here is under this oppression thing here. We have more than anybody else. Everybody in here could go in their closet and have more clothes than most of the world. And do you know what they are? Next year's garage sale. Really? That's what it is. We buy stuff and in a year or two, it's in a garage sale. I read a book uh, a few months ago and the guy was talking and I would love to be able to do this. And I, I did, you've got to take time. It takes a lot of research. But he, he went down. He bought three pairs of pants. He has three pairs of pants. Two t-shirts. And two hoodies. That's his clothes. And, and he, he, he was a pastor. Now he writes books. And the reason he did that. And all of the clothes he makes that are uh, manufactured humanely. You've got to pay more for them clothes. But he buys less. And he doesn't have a problem looking in his closet and going, what am I going to wear today? Because he only has so many clothes he can wear. See, we have this abundance. We just... Buy it. See, James warns us of this. But he also says that, that the riches would, in the end, amount to nothing. That's because you've never seen a U-Haul follow a hearse. You've never seen a U-Haul follow a hearse, ever. You know, all that stuff is going to end up in a dumpster. 
whether it's, it's your dumpster or your kids throwing it in a dumpster. It's going to end up in a dumpster. All of it. And, and, and another, another fact you probably don't know, which is really scary, is you know sometimes when we donate to countries to donate our, our clothes? Uh, my sister was telling me she watched this special, and they were showing like in India where there's a dump because they can't give these things away. So we're just really throwing our garbage in another country because they don't need it or don't want it. And then we just ship it over there, so we pay for shipping, and then it ends up in a dump. Because more than that, they need food. They need Jesus, for one. Jesus needs to be in the center of it. Not send our leftovers, our stuff that we don't want. This is what Jesus says. Because, by the way, if you haven't figured this out, the book of James is basically an exposition on the, be, the, the Sermon on the Mount. The whole book is basically an exposition on the Sermon on the Mount. So, this is what he says. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will also be. See, here's the thing. That text is personal. I don't, nobody can tell you how generous you are. What Jesus is using this text for is he says, this is what I want you to do. I blessed you with a wallet. I blessed you with a wallet or a checking account, whatever you want to call it. And he goes, you say you love me. You say you follow me. Get your wallet out because you're the only person that knows. And take a look at where you spend your money. Take a look at where the money's going. Then you'll know who you follow, who you worship, what you worship. When you've got more money going out for stuff that you don't need and going to throw in a garage sale than you've got money going towards missions and going towards reaching the world for Christ, there's a problem. Jesus is... And I'm not condemning you here, by the way. Nobody. Because this condemns me. When I studied this, this text condemns me when I understand what it's about. Because it's telling me, you, you can't do this to me. But I need to do it to me. It, he did that so you could say, look, this is, I can talk the talk. I can look like I'm walking the walk. But my checkbook, my bank accounts, say what I'm really doing. When you look at that, that is what tells you where your heart is. And this is what James wants you to understand too. Where is your heart? And we think, this is what we think. If I've got a bank account with lots of money in it, I will have less anxiety. If I have a new car, I'm going to have less anxiety 
because it's going to start every day. This is what Soren Kierkegaard says. He was a Danish philosopher. Riches and abundance come hypocritically clad in sheep's clothing, pretending to be security against anxieties. And they become the, then the object of anxiety. They, they secure a man against anxiety just about as well as a wolf which is tending the sheep. How many people, if you had sheep, would leave a wolf to tend them for you? And the next quote is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if anybody knows who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is. If you don't, you should. Okay? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a, a cool preacher, in my opinion. Because he was a German pastor that left the German church and, and started another church. And, he real, and when he realized that they were under a, a diabolical dictator, he and a bunch of other people come up with a plan to get rid of Hitler. It failed. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer ended up being hung with piano string. But when you think about it, when you think about it, wouldn't you prefer to, 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 to fight for justice and die being hung by piano strings than, live, than be laying in your bed at 90 years old accomplishing nothing with your life? It's one of Hitler's last commands, by the way, was to get rid of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you ever want to read his biography, I've got it in my office, but you're going to be reading it for a while unless you're a really fast reader. It took me a long time to read it because the book's this thick. It, and, and what I love about it is it, it tells a lot of the history of the German side of the war and how Hitler took charge telling Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story too. So it, it, I liked it because it had a lot of history in it. And it made me really respect this man. And he's also got a good book called The Cost of Discipleship. Because there's a cost to following Jesus. I'm never going to tell anybody you, it, that, that there's no cost to following Jesus. Because there is. Because you lay down your life and give it to him. So there's a cost to following Jesus. You are saved free of charge, but there's a cost to following Jesus. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. Earthly goods deceive the human heart into believing that they give security and freedom from worry. But in truth, they are what causes anxiety. By the way, we missed point one because it's not there. And it's money is dangerous. Just so you know. Because money's dangerous. And I'm going to just stop there because I thought this was going really fast because I'm on point two. I didn't even tell you point, point one. Because it disappeared. I think John deleted it so we'd be out on time. But I, there's not much to say. Money's dangerous. Money's not bad. Let me get that straight. Money's not bad. Money is dangerous. Money's dangerous like fire's dangerous. Fire's good. Fire warms. Fire cooks. 
Fire is good. But fire can also burn everything down. As we just were saying, Donna lost her house from a fire. That's the lady's name that we want to give some furniture to, Donna. So she lost her house from a fire. Fire. It's dangerous, but it's not bad. It's dangerous. Just like money can be dangerous. So, the heart is deceptive. This is why. You think, if I've got a good 401k... And a nice new car and money in the bank that I'm not going to be, I'm not going to suffer from anxiety. But here's the deal. How many people had a a really crappy car, their first car they ever drove? Everybody? Okay. Okay. It probably had lots of scratches and dings in it when you got it, didn't it? Did you care where you parked it? Did you care where you parked it? But one day, you got something a little nicer, and now you walk seven blocks to get to the grocery store because you've got anxiety that somebody's going to scratch or ding your car. Okay? And you notice, you get a new car, you notice every little scratch, every little nick in it. You're almost better to just go buy a car, put a couple of scratches in it, and then park wherever you want. It's God's car anyway. It's not yours. It belongs to him. And then you won't have to worry about it anymore. Because it's going to get dinged. It's going to get dinged. I've got a chip out of one door, a dings down the side, and now it's got hail damage. Yeah, just bash into something, get a few dings in it, and, you, and then you don't have to worry about it. And when I first bought that car, I had anxiety. Not, not unhealthy, like it's going to make me sick anxiety. But by having something that costs a lot of money, you, you feel... Some, so having more stuff does not help you. Do you, know, do you know why the heart is deceptive? Do you know how many, how many hours a day, most people, we're not going to count Dale... Because he doesn't use his smartphone. Uh, he does watch TV though, so he is in some of this. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he watches a bit of TV and listens to radio. So here's the thing. Do you know how, just in the five major media outlets, how many commercials do you think you, you, you see a day? That actually, actually, a low estimate is 365, and that's only the five major. If you count all of them, they say a day, a day, the average person sees around 4,000 adverts a day. We, we blank over them, and it, 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 some of it's lower because we pay for our TV now, so we buy Netflix and pay for the extra so we don't have to watch commercials, you know, because we got around it somewhat. But, but you're on your phone... At least nine to ten hours. With TV, phone, and computer, they average nine to ten hours a day. And some of that is understandable because without it, we live in a day and age. It's almost you need that to, to do everything that you do. But in everything you do, Facebook, bam, bam, bam. You play the games, unless you pay for premium game, 
You've got to watch a commercial every time you beat it. So, so you get barraged with adverts. What are them adverts doing? You need this. You don't have this. Get this. It will make you happy. And then we're, we're, we're okay, somewhat okay with it because then it ends up in a garage sale next year and we make $5,000. But it would have been better, it would have been better if you just donated the money because we wouldn't have lost 90% of the value. Here's the thing is, we are barraged by it. And our heart tells us we need that to make us happy. Because we see it, we want it. Why do you think Samsung, Apple make new phones every year? They only put a... Oh, it's a better camera. Well, how much better can it be? You know? I mean, it's so stupid, really. It's like we're barraged with this. You need this. You need this. It's, it's, it's toxic. And we feed into it. We see it and we go... And there's, everybody's got something that they see and they go, I need that. I'm going to be happier if I have that. And I'm telling you, five minutes after you get it, you're not happier. Because it's like anything. It's like anything. You don't even have to talk about money. It's like if you, if you love sweets, okay? I love sweets. So there's a new cookie place in town. I don't know if you know it, but there's a new cookie. What's it called, hon? Dirty dough. <laughs> and, and they are ooey, gooey, crispy on the outside. They've got filling in them. Do you think I ate one cookie? No. I ate two cookies. Because I think two's going to be better than one. And guess what I felt like afterwards? Crap. Because, because that's way too much ch- sugar for you. I'm telling you, I like sugar. That was way too much sugar. I don't even want to know how many calories was in it. Luckily, I only had a pork sandwich for my supper. So, oh, so you can get barrage with more advertising. <laughs> it didn't make me happy. It made me sad. It made me happy when I took the first bite. By the way. Eating, eating is just like drugs. You, any drug addict, or they're always chasing that first high. When they shoot up heroin or do cocaine, they want the same feeling they got the first time they had it. And any addict will tell you that's, that's quit, they've never received that first high. They never get that first high. They always chase in the high. By the way, food addicts, it's the same thing. You get the, the actual thing. If you could just have one bite and just say, that's good. That's what you're chasing. You, once you've had that, you're stuffing your face trying to get that feeling that you got from the first bite. And it doesn't happen. And that's with all things. We are always chasing something because our heart deceives us. That stuff will make us happy. So we need more of it. First Timothy 6. We're going to start in verse 6. 
But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So he's telling you, how many people confess to be a Christian in this room? Everybody? Some people? Some are on the fence? I don't know. But if you do, basically, this is what Paul says to Timothy. If you have a pair of pants and a taco, you should be content. That's all you need. A taco, because everybody knows the taco makes you happy. So if you have a pair of pants and a taco, (laughs) a taco, you know, a shell with some meat in it. Okay, or a burrito, or a steak, and a pear punch, you'll be happy. You know what I mean? That's what basically he's saying. We should be content, but you know that we're not. You know there's a pull on our heart always because of all them commercials that we see that we want more, that we want more. He carries on. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That desire to have more is going to destroy you. To want more is not going to make you happy. To get more is not going to make you happy. Because you're looking for happiness in the wrong place. And you can put that... Everybody in a relationship in this room, okay? If you're looking at your spouse or your girlfriend or your significant other to make you happy, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to fail. It's going to fail. If you look to get your happiness in somebody else other than Jesus, it's going to fail. People cannot make you happy. Money cannot make you happy. Food cannot make you happy. More stuff in the garage will not make you happy. It might for a minute, but it won't because there'll be something else you want. It's like your neighbor that buys a boat and they see the other neighbor buys a bigger boat and they go, I need to buy a bit a new boat now. I've only had mine a week, but I've got to sell it because the other neighbor bought a bigger boat. Or if somebody buys a new car, my dad was bad this way. Anytime anybody bought a new car, he thought he needed to buy a new car. Every time he saw somebody else have a new car. I think near enough every time he did, he went out and bought a new car. Within a month or two. It was like, it's just, they've got a new car, I need a new car. He could have had his car a year and thinks he needs a new car. And, and that's the problem. Chase something that we don't need. And we use money that we could be using for something better to glorify God's kingdom to buy more stuff that's going to rust and end up in a landfill. I mean, that's what's going to happen to all your stuff, by the way. 
All the stuff that you've purchased and own is going to end up in the landfill. Except it and scrap it, and the, and, 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 and the scrap people will sell it to the Chinese, and the Chinese will melt it down, and then they'll sell it back to us. And he continues, First Timothy, Paul continues. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. People go, the money's evil. This is what I'm going to tell you. Money's not evil. It doesn't say money's evil. The Bible never says money's evil, by the way. Never. It said it's the root of all kinds of evil. Because it causes us to sin to get it, it causes us to sin in many different ways. It causes us to oppress people to get more. It causes us to steal. It causes us to kill and people go, oh, I'd never kill anybody. Do you know what's funny? It's not funny, really. But when, you know the 2020 specials where they do Who Kills or the there's, there's uh, was one on, on, on people who won the lottery. Know how many people, it was ridiculous how many people won the lottery and their family hired a hitman to kill them so they could get the money? Oh, yeah. Several times. And then the youngest person in England to ever win the lottery because you can play at 16 is 16. And her boyfriend got a hooked on coke and it lasted a year. And guess where the boyfriend is now? Nowhere to be found. You see, and she still, she, in, in this book at the time, she was hooked on coke. No money. Because her boyfriend was a dealer. You know, we say we wouldn't do this to people. And I'm not saying you're going to kill Physically, but most of the time, like even when James talking uh, hypothetically, because we do kill people, we hate people to get richer. According to Jesus, that's murder, by the way. According to Jesus, not me, Jesus. I, I, I like it when I can throw Jesus under the bus and not me, because he's he's got big enough shoulders he can carry it, and uh, oh. We do this all the time. We might not physically commit the crime. But according to Jesus, when you hate, you murder. Because Jesus, everybody, and I've said this several times and I'll keep saying it until I retire or die. uh, Jesus doesn't lower the standards. Everybody goes, Oh, God was angry in the Old Testament, and now we've got loving Jesus, and, and he, just, he just has come here to save us, and, and he's perfect, and he's not going to be angry at us. We can live however we want. No, 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 no. You haven't read the Bible then. Jesus ups the ante every time. Every single time. He told somebody to walk an extra mile. Do you know why that was? Because a soldier could make you walk a mile. So he said, hey, What I want you to do, next time a soldier tells you to carry his backpack a mile, carry it two. They weren't legally allowed to make you carry it two. You had to stop carrying it at one. I'm sure you got beat 
after you've carried it past the one mile mark. But that's what Jesus was upping the ante for everything. He told you, give everything. He didn't tell you to give 10%. I love when people say, hey, uh, you've got to give 10%. No, actually, Jesus says, give it all. I'm just telling you what Jesus says. I'm not, I, I, I'm not worried about offending you with Jesus. Because Jesus says, give it all. All your life, all your possessions, all your money. Give it to me. Say, you're in control of it, God. Whatever you want me to do with it, I will do with it. It's yours, not mine. You're in control. Just let me know. And what, what he tends to do, he says, okay, here, it's yours. Just take care of it for me for a while. And he lets you have it back. He doesn't take it, take it, but, he, but that's the whole idea. Jesus ups the ante. He makes it the standard to follow God and God actual standards. He doesn't lower the standard. He ups it. He says, if you're going to come follow me, the text Jackie uh, read, why do you think the man had to give up his money? Because that was his God. God will take your God. If money is your God, guess what he's going to take away from you? Your money. If he wants you to follow him, he's going to take away your God. Because your God is weak and feeble. Because the love of money is deadly. When you love money, it will kill you. It will kill you physically, emotionally, mentally. Because when you chase something so hard and want something, you will just destroy yourself to get it. And you can see, people, people can be wealthy most wealthy people, by the way, aren't happy. That's why all these stars, how often do they get divorced and remarried? They're both rich. I mean, you've got rich people marrying rich people. They can't make, they can't make it a couple of years, let alone a, maybe even a couple of months before they're unhappy with each other because they're looking for happiness in the wrong place. They're not looking at... at to God. Romans one twenty five. it says this, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator for who is blessed forever. Amen. See, that's what happens to every one of us. When you look at something, okay, and you think that it's great without acknowledging that God created it, you are worshipping his creation, not him. We do it all the time. That's what, Paul is, that's what Paul is saying in Romans there. We exchange worshipping the creator, the person who made the Grand Canyon. When you go to places like that, do you, do you think to yourself, gosh, you're amazing, God. You just like, created that, however he created it, whether he caused the earthquake to do it, whether he, he just scooped it out with his thumb, I don't know, but I know he did it, so I, give, I acknowledge that he did it. We need to acknowledge him, but there's only one solution to that. The solution is the gospel can deliver us from this. See, here's the thing. 
The gospel is the generosity of God. And it flows out of him. And it grants us a new identity. One that's not stuck in the world and needs to be told by somebody else, you need this to be good. You need this to be better looking. You need this to do this. You need to have a new car so people will think you're cool. No, you get your identity in Christ now. If you're saved, you don't get your identity from what the world says about you. You get your identity from him, Christ. What God thinks of you. And I'm going to tell you, God loved you the way you were. And he can't love you anymore. Now you're saved. So who are we really trying to impress by getting more stuff? And more stuff. See, we have to look to God and the creator. See, he gives us this. And now this serves as a buffer to the barrage of of all this toxic commercials that we see. We go, look, I don't need that because I know what God thinks of me. I don't need a new haircut, a new, a new this or that or that, a new pair of shoes just to make people think I'm cool. God thinks I'm cool anyway. But we strive and it's so hard. Because we hear all of this, we, wanna, we want people to like us, so we think if we look a certain way or buy certain stuff, that people are going to like us more. If you're trying to... The, the people that are impressed by that stuff are not worth being in your life. They're not worth being in your life. There's nothing about wrong with owning nice stuff either. But if you're buying it to impress people, that's what's wrong. If you think you need it to be cool or you need it to to be in fashion or you need it. So people look at you and go, well, look at them. They're so successful. Because here's what I'm going to tell you. Have a nice car and the biggest house in the church and still be the most generous person in the church. And still give a lot of your money away. So I'm not saying you have to sell everything, do all that. I'm saying only you know that's going back to to the text where Jesus says, you need to look at your checkbook. You need to say where all your money goes. You need to say, hey, how much do I spend on this? Ephesians 1.5 says this, God is on, uh, he predestined us, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. See, God is on a mission. And we have been invited into that mission. When you got saved, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, you was invited into the mission of God. That's a privilege. God says, hey, this is what he said to me. Just so you know, I'm not talking to you guys. He said to you, hey, Ed, you're a loser. But I want you to work with me. I want you to work for me. I want you to, to preach my word. I want to use you. I want to use you to, to, to glorify my kingdom. You're going to suck at it, but I can speak through you anyway. We've not just been saved from... You've not just been saved from hell, by the way. 
by accepting Christ. You've been saved too. To work for God, to surrender to him, to be used by him. See, remember, remember, Scripture takes the subject of money very seriously. What we do with our money and the degree to which we desire it may reveal our hearts more than our words and our actions. So just because you speak a good talk, just because in front of people that you, you do the right actions, doesn't mean you're a generous person. And according to, to Christ, that is what we are supposed to be. Generous people. So actually, this pastor that I was listening to, this is what he's done. And he's done it since he's been a, basically uh, a Christian. When, and he says, when he only had ex- 18 extra dollars to budget on his budgeting account. And, and I told Shelly, I want to figure this out. And I want to budget this every month. And, and above and beyond what I to the church... I want a line item in my budget that says just generosity. A line item. And he started with $18 on that line item, by the way. $18. But you put this line item on your budget and you go, I want, I want to give X amount of money. This is my generosity account. This is actually in my budget. Gas, electric, generosity. Well, it should be tithe, gas, electric, generosity. Just so you get it in the right order. But you have this line item. Maybe you got 20 bucks in it a month. Maybe you got 100 bucks in it. I don't know what you can afford. Okay? I'm just, this is just a suggestion. And you have that. And then, this is what I got excited for. Him and his wife, on, on a Sunday night, they talk about, who could we bless this week? Or who could we bless this month? Who needs something? Uh, yet, hey, it, it, his wife works with a lot of uh, single parents. So she'll say, hey, this single parent needs X, Y, Z for the kids. Hey, can we use some of the money to, to, to get that? And they, they go, yeah. And then he'll say, they're a big church and they have a lot of interns that don't make any money. And he says, hey, that intern's got bold tires. Hey, and the weather's getting bad. Hey, can we take some of that generosity money and, and put some tires on his car so he can get back and forth and, and just bless him? There's so many people in the world to be blessed. If you just had a line item, whether it's a dollar or a few hundred dollars on your thing, that generosity, that you budget every month and you look for ways that you can bless other people that you can go, hey, that person, I see a need. Wouldn't it be nice to have yeah, extra savings account that's up here and it's named generosity because they let you name your bank accounts now. And you can say, hey, I'm going to pull out of there because that person, they could really new, use a, they, they, they don't have any diapers for their kids. So let's go buy them some diapers and drop them off. Just leave them at the door, run and knock and run away. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be even cooler to do it secretly. Would be even cooler, in my opinion. Just to drop and run. I think that would be the most awesome thing to do because I like surprising people. So that would be awesome. And not getting any credit for it because Jesus needs all the credit anyway. But that's, that, that's something I told I, I, Shelly last night that I... We could... 
that we can just start and just start start small if we have to and then work up because we are called to be generous and i said at the beginning we are some of the wealthiest people in the world and this wealth we have it's a tremendous blessing to live in America, by the way. Just so you know. But, like, like uh, Peter Parker's uh, grandpa said to him, uh, uncle said to him, great gifts, responsibilities. It wasn't worded exactly like that, but it's true. With great gifts, which is a blessing that we live in America and we are wealthy. But it comes with great responsibility. God has blessed you just because you were born in this country. So it's something I want you to think about. I'm not asking you to give more money to the church. And if you want to, you can. But I'm not asking you to. I'm asking you to, to look for ways that you can be more generous in your life. That you can look through all your stuff and you can say, hey, I haven't used that for a while. And not donate it to a garage sale, but find somebody that you can just hand it to. We had the pleasure at this garage sale of a guy that's 72 years old, used to be a doctor. And uh, what was his name? Do you remember his name? Elizabeth, what was his name? What? Dave, Dave, anyway, he's been doing this ministry for nine years. He has been to garage sales. He has been to church garage sales. He's come to our garage sale. He looks for certain clothes for big men, extra large, 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 extra large, extra, extra large. He, and he, he goes downtown and he goes in some, he goes down 7th Street and he's 72 years old. And he goes by the bus station and he hands out these hats and the coats and the, and the stuff that he, he buys. But he was, he was here and he goes, your price is so good. He basically was going to buy all the men's clothes we had. He was going to buy all these men's clothes. And do you know what he did? But, well, I said, I went back and I said, we're not going to charge him for the clothes. We can't charge him for the clothes. He's doing a mission for God. You know, and, and, he's, and, and this is what he said. He said, I've had hundreds of people say the sinner's prayer. And he said, I don't know if they became disciples. I don't know if they're following Christ today. And I said to him, well, you're planting seeds. That's all you asked to do is plant seeds. Somebody else might come along and water that seed one day. But you're planting seeds. And, I, and, and when I told him that he could have the stuff for free, this hurt, this, this hurt me that he said this. That we truly are showing, not this part, agape love. Not one other organization. Not one person at a garage sale he went to buy clothes from has ever made that offer to him in nine years. He couldn't believe it. 
that we would be so generous. That touched my heart. And so I told him, we will just start collecting clothes. If anybody ever has any clothes, we're going to start collecting big hoodies, big sweatshirt, big coats, whatever it is. And we will start donating them to this man. And if anybody wants to learn how to do his ministry, he wants to teach people to do his ministry. Because he goes, he went to 7th Street and he goes, it's pretty scary when I go to 7th Street. And he's 72 years old. He's not that, he's a pretty frail man, in my opinion. And he goes there and he, he he's, he's, he's gets, uh, and nobody else wants to go because of the, where it is. And he said, and I told him I'd make an app, if anybody would like to work with him, learn how he does it, he would love to train people to do that because it's a calling that he had on his life nine years ago. And uh, it's, he's 72. How much longer can he do it? But he wants to, he obviously has continued to do it. And I think that we could be a part of that as a church was amazing. Yeah. Because, yeah, because he was so, I mean, he was super touched. He actually refused when I told him at first. And I said, well, you've got to be a gracious giver. Somebody wise told me one time that you have to be a gracious receiver as well as a gracious giver. And it's really hard to be a gracious receiver if you're a gracious giver. If you like to give, it's always harder to receive when you're a gracious giver. But you have to be both. Uh, so next week, uh, we're going to read James 5, 7 through 11. And get ready for the next week's sermon. We need a patient endurance. Uh, let us pray. And thank you for sticking with me while I talked about money. Because it's a, a tough subject to talk about. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are an awesome God. That come into our lives and just provide everything that we need. We are truly blessed because we live in America. Help us to be stewards of our resources. Help us to look through our stuff and say, hey, do I need this? Help us to give away more and collect less. Help us to be people that look to you for our happiness and not to the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.